everyone. How are you doing? Good to hear. Hope all of you were engaged by your worship. I hope that was a, a time of connection and uh, communion with the Lord for you. Uh, hey, it is good to be at church. Uh, what a month it has been uh, at our church. And I, I look back and uh, I look at what was about a month ago, we did baptism services uh, across all of our campuses. And uh, I had a really sweet story. I had a guy, he was probably in his mid eighties. He was this big old strong guy. And he walked up to me and he kind of, I just had baptized one of his grandkids and he walked up and he was just had tears in his eyes. It was kind of the guy, got the sense that this was a guy that didn't cry a lot. And so he walked up and he grabbed me. He said, young man, I just want you to know, I have never seen anything like that. I just cried for a solid hour and a half. And I just thought, gosh, what a sweet time. And so many were very moved by what God was doing in the lives of people. And that was such an immersive experience, getting to worship and baptize and just having that be really the focus of the morning. In addition to that, we kind of walked into Holy Week, led into Good Friday after we kind of had that somber time to recognize Christ dying, we walked into our Easter celebrations and resurrection. And, and then Jamie kind of walked out of that strong last week and he started this 14-6 series that we're gonna continue in today as we pick it up in the book of 1 Samuel. But I just, I love our senior pastor so much. He's both a mentor and a friend to me. And he sat down and he's really good to me. He said, uh, young man, you can pick any two of these sermons that you want and I'll take the rest. And I said, well, that's great. So I got to pick First uh, Samuel and next week we'll be in Ezekiel. They're not easy topics, uh, but they're really good for us. And so as we talk today about this First uh, Samuel passage that we'll, we'll read in just a minute, uh, we're gonna talk about faith today. And faith's really hard because uh, it's not one of those things that's free. Faith is one of those things that does develop during difficult times. It doesn't just show up. Uh, you know, some of us are kind of gifted with a little bit of an aptitude toward faith, but faith is typically strengthened and developed during difficult times in our lives. So if we're going to talk about faith, we kind of have to be in the mindset to understand where it is and kind of how it is that faith comes along. And so what I'd like to do kind of just to position us in the right heart condition is I'd love for you to hear a testimony, a story of a guy named Will. Would you turn your attentions to the screens? Well, Livy and I met when she was 14 and I was 16. Um, we started dating in high school. I thought she was beautiful inside and out. After high school, we uh, got married right here in Fountain Hills. From there, we, uh, we had children. We started our own real estate company together, which uh, worked wonderfully with our family. We were able to take vacations when we wanted to and, and really um, be able to be involved in the kids' lives. So after we, we had our, our third child, Olivia began to uh, struggle with severe anxiety and depression. I, I encouraged her to go to the doctor to explore a little bit further. I was concerned for her, her mental health and she ultimately um, got on a medication for anxiety depression. After about six months on the medication, I noticed that her alcohol consumption became uh, much more frequent, became much more extreme. Her behavior, who she was, her decision-making, it, it all began to change. She started to you know, disappear in the middle of the night and was off drinking and, and um, there were affairs. There was car accidents, drunk driving. The kids were witnessing um, fights while she was intoxicated. She saw me as the problem and so um, I began to go to counseling to see if there's something I could fix or work on or do to try to, to, to remedy the situation, but the situation became so out of control and I wasn't perfect by any means, but under the circumstances, I felt I did what I could to try to uh, keep the family together. That was my main goal. I was caring for the kids full time. I made sure that they got up and went to school and, you know, came a bath at night and was making dinner because Olivia was leaving to go drink, to go to a bar, to spend time with friends. Ultimately, the light bulb went on and I realized this is not the way our family should be operating and it's not healthy. I came to Olivia uh, one night, she was drunk, and had come, come home about three or four o'clock in the morning, and I said, if you don't stop drinking, I said, um, I'm, I'm gonna file divorce. She said, okay, do what you have to do. Things got really terrible from there. 
the court did order for her to receive random alcohol testing. And as long as she tested negative for alcohol, we would share custody. But she began failing the random alcohol testing right away. November of 2013, the kids came to live with me full time. We had tried to get her into treatment multiple times. Unfortunately, she never stayed. She went in for a couple days and then she, she'd leave. You know, I was, I was limited in being able to get out there and work. And this is where I began to see the Lord step in. He provided the, the work, the income, just enough to pay for all my living expenses, to take care of the kids. Time and time again, he would show up and make sure that we had enough to survive. Several years into uh, me taking custody of the kids, Olivia began to severely decline in her health. We got a call from her parents and they said that uh, Olivia was back in the hospital and that they didn't think she was gonna make it. We were able to spend some time with her. It was wonderful. We were able to sit down and um, really gave us a chance to just show her the love of Christ. And for me personally, it was, it was a huge blessing from the Lord because I wanted to be able to, to tell her that I loved her, that um, no matter what had happened, it's, um, she was still the mother of my kids. It's really hard. I had to accept that God knew what was best for her. I was pretty broken, um, in a lot of pain. Shortly after Olivia passed away, I began to feel the Holy Spirit prompt me to attend Scottsdale Bible through some prayer. And after talking with the kids, they were open to that. Within the, the first service, we knew it was the place for us. We were, we were supposed to be there. And we have been blessed beyond belief. My son, he's very involved in ministry at his school. He just got back from a missions trip from Guatemala. My 13-year-old daughter, Reese, she's getting fantastic grades. And my youngest one, Monroe, she's just been the light of my life. She's been the positive light in our family. I am not the same person that I was. The Lord has delivered me and begun to heal me. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. And he truly delivered my kids and I from the pit. Some days were really challenging but he lifts me up, gives me the strength to carry through. I know I couldn't do it without him. That's, yeah, you can clap for that. It's not something we would sign up for if given the option, right? That's not fun, that's not easy, that's not comfortable. But there's a line in that story that caught my attention right off the bat. First time I watched it, I just, it, it just stuck out to me. And it was when Will says, uh, several years after that. Several years. Several years after a marriage had gone sour. Several years after there had been anxiety and depression. Several years after affairs and brokenheartedness. Several years into that, there was an opportunity. This man who had been through a lot, things were difficult. There was a war going on in his life. He was a single dad at this point, just trying to survive several years into that disaster. There was an opportunity and what Will saw, and you heard him say it was, we had an opportunity to sit there and just simply to say, I love you. The world and its circumstances don't say that that's how that story should end. That's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, this went sour. There's supposed to be distance and there's supposed to be a bunch of hurt and pain. And yet at the same time, even though there's hurt and pain, this man got to sit in front of his former wife with his children and show the love of Christ. There was an opportunity for a victory. God's victory, not Will's victory. That moment was probably very difficult. It may not have felt like a victory for Will at all, but God was shown to be more than just natural. He did something supernatural. That's kind of miraculous that a heart can change like that. And that's really important for us to see today because where we're going as we talk about faith, we have to understand that God can work in the good times and the bad. 
He can work through circumstances that we see as completely uh, out of our control, insane, this is too chaotic, I just need to survive. In those moments, there's opportunities for victory, and that's really what we're gonna talk about today in the book of 1 Samuel. But before we do that, let me pray for us. So God, we just pray today that as we come before you, as we have worshiped and we've prepared our hearts, as we've kind of come to this place where we're connected with you in a deep and intimate way. Our, our prayer today, Lord, is just simply that there are places in our heart that we need to turn over to you, maybe adventures that we need to go on. Lord, would you stir us in that way as we dive into your word this morning? Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at the book of First Samuel, and I'm going to bet you can guess the chapter and verse, okay? But uh, here's the deal. Let's set the scene. Jonathan is at war. He's been at war for a while. And one of the things before we read this that I want to remind us is so many times we look at Bible characters and we sort of go, that's really awesome. I love that thing. I, I, I want to have uh, faith like that. I want to do something marvelous. Okay, but we kind of forget marvelous things happen during really difficult times. So we want to look like heroes, but we don't want to be kind of in that heroic chaos. Okay, so in the midst of a war, everything going on, Jonathan looks at this guy who's with him, and this is what he says in 1 Samuel 14.6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So like I said, there's already a war going on. Jonathan's life has been on the line every day for some time now. Anybody ever had a counselor saying, you, you kind of live on an adrenaline rush. Uh, you, you may be living in fight or flight, okay? Anybody ever had a counselor say that and you realize that like your job as an accountant is creating a fight or flight mentality in you? Okay, Jonathan was living in fight or flight because his life was on the line on a daily basis, okay? He wasn't stressed out about the bottom line. He was stressed out about will I live to see tomorrow? So he's in this constant state of stress and in the midst of all of this, he's sitting there and he's kind of got somebody beside him. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to just chop this verse up into four parts. And I think each of these four parts take what is like a 3,000-year-old story and they give us something that we can very practically apply to our lives today. So this first part that I want to look at, it's right here. It says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor. Now that's kind of a weird functionality, all right, for many of us, that's, I don't know, if you've got somebody following you around carrying a sword and shield, we're different, you and me, okay? Um, that's not really a thing anymore, but it was a really common practice back then because all these great warriors, like, they had these guys. They had these armor bearers who followed them, and the reason being, uh, shields and swords, helmets, all of this gear was heavy. So if you were gonna show up to battle and you'd been carrying all this stuff, you're gonna be a little worn out. So for some of you who think, man, I'm really glad I got to drive to the gym because I would have been really tired if I had to just imagine having to have marched hundreds of miles to get to a foreign nation where you're now going to go to war. So Jonathan's got this guy next to him, okay? Now, Jonathan's not very old himself at this point. All right, this is before David takes over. David wasn't super old when he took over. So this is like, Jonathan's not super old. This man who's carrying his stuff is young. He's probably like junior high or high school aged. So he's got this kid, for lack of a better term, carrying his stuff. And in the midst of this, it's like he's leaning on this guy. And so what I want you to hear today is that this position of the armor bearer is important to Jonathan. Okay, this is kind of a prestigious position, in fact. Like David would become Saul's armor bearer at one point. So he would become the armor bearer to the king of Israel. That was the position he filled. These guys were really loyal to whoever they served. Okay, they were like Labradors. They were just like there. In fact, during battle, what would happen at times is the armor bearer would hold the shield behind the guy who was fighting, kind of covering his six, if you will. And so he would fight the battle here, but the shield may actually be back here, just depending on what the battle was. And so at one point, Saul's armor bearer down the road, not David at this point, but Saul's armor bearer would die alongside Saul, giving his life to be near the one he served. 
This armor bearer is just like that. He's very loyal to Jonathan. And if you kind of read on in this story, which I'd encourage you to do, read this story. It's very cool. But what happens is uh, Jonathan is going to kind of put something, as I've read this verse, in front of this young man that is insane. And we will talk about how insane it is in just a sec. But this, this kid is having to sit here and basically listen to Jonathan say, let's go take on a chunk of this army. And this guy is so committed to Jonathan that what he does is he looks at him and he says this, he says, I'm with you heart and soul. Like to the end, I'm with you. I want you to see that Jonathan, the son of the current king of Israel, the son of Saul, the friend of David, still in the midst of this really tough moment where he's at war and things are hard, he's got someone with him. And that's kind of the first thing that I want you to look at today. Look at your notes and fill in the blank here. Never go it alone. So I got something to ask you today, church. Who are the armor bearers in your life? Who are the people who when you sit down and you realize that your life looks like a battle and there's a lot going on, who are the people who are looking at you and saying, I am with you heart and soul? Because we all need them there's some of you in this room who you go, yep, I got a community, it's great, we're sitting there, and anytime things are tough, I got them, I know who to call upon, and they're at my kitchen table when I need them the most. But there's others of you who have had maybe bad experiences with humans, okay? It happens, all right, humans are hard sometimes. But for those of you who are sitting back, those bad circumstances may have led to you living in something really difficult. You may be living in a lie, a lie that says you were meant to be alone. What I would say is that if you are living an isolated life without community, if you are isolated, you are at risk. Because this is something that hit me this week. It's not in your notes, but I'd encourage you to write it down. Isolation is the enemy's favorite canvas to paint on. Canvas is something that you start a painting with. And what the enemy loves is he knows that God's people are strongest when they're together I'd encourage you today that you were made by God and for God and for God's community. And if you are sitting back in your life and you are believing the lie, you know what? I just don't play well with others. I'm best on my own. You might even be watching online and church is an intimidating concept because you don't want to be around others. What I would say is if you are isolated, you are at risk. Because when the enemy gets you alone, anything goes. When we're isolated, it's a bad deal. Because the enemy, enemy may come in and say, well, yeah, the reason that you've had so many bad circumstances is because you don't really have value. There's nothing you're good at. You've never really helped anybody. But somebody who's in your life may look at you during those moments where those lies are seeping in and the enemy wants to just continue to crush you a little bit at a time. A friend might actually look at you and say, oh, oh gosh, that's not true. Are you kidding? What about last week when you and me interacted? You don't realize it, but that thing you said was an incredible encouragement to me. You see, you're amazing when it comes to friendship. You're really good at that, and I need you. If you're living an isolated life, you have cut yourself off from some of God's love that can be felt through the community, the body, which is meant to build itself up in times of need. I can remember a lot of times in my life and I'd gotten very isolated towards the end of my drinking and before I got sober, uh, my, my idea, and a lot of you would kind of laugh at this because I'm such an outgoing individual, but a lot of my time was spent alone at home drinking. I'd gotten very isolated. When I got into recovery, I started to show up to these rooms on a regular basis. People started to know me and I started to feel myself kind of coming back to life as I was coming out of this disease called alcoholism. What happened was people all of a sudden went, hey, I didn't see you this weekend. Oh, yeah, me and my wife went on a trip. Oh, yeah, well, we missed you. Somebody knew I was gone. You see, if you're sitting here today and you go, I don't know, church is weird, people are weird, I'll agree, I'll give you that. Yeah, we're weird, that's fine. Okay, but the reality is, if you get involved, all of a sudden the things that seem most weird to you might actually start to feel very loving. If all of a sudden you say, you know what, maybe I'll get a little bit involved, start to get to know some people, get to know your campus pastor and his associate, right? Get to know some of the individuals around you, get to know the people who sit by you every week. I know that you guys think you're super like inventive and you sit different places. You're in the same places every week, okay? <laughs> I do it in the venue every week. It's like, oh, yep, there's the Cleverleys, there's the Goble. Okay, we got it. Yep, everybody's in the same spot. People around you, familiar faces, get to know them. 
Because what happens is you become relational with individuals. They look at you and they go, hey, where were you last week? I missed you. Okay? For those of you who have those thoughts and you go, I did miss that individual. Say something. Speak up. Those may be life-giving words to someone who spends most of their life alone. But the point of this first deal in never go it alone is if you don't have community, you are at risk. And if you're isolated, the enemy is loving that. Let's take that back. Let's get you into some life-giving relationship where the enemy has to fight his way through your community to get to the most precious things in your life. Uh, It starts to heat up from here. Jonathan starts to kind of say some things that are troublesome. He looks at this kid who's carrying his stuff and says, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. I want to talk about how uh, wildly crazy what Jonathan is suggesting is. A garrison was a large group of Philistines, okay? So it's probably 50 to 100. And at this point, uh, spoiler alert, for those of you who haven't read this and you like a surprise, I'm going to ruin the story right now, okay? So the way that this works out is that him and his armor bearer, Jonathan, have come to this place where they're kind of at this crevasse in this rock. and, And the garrison that they're talking about is on the other side. Historically speaking, what we know is that this was probably a broken off part of a garrison, but it had at least 20 because that's how many they're gonna kill when this thing goes the way that it goes, all right? And the effect that it had was so shocking to the rest of the garrison that they all like flee and run off. They are terrified of what God has done through Jonathan and his caddy. Okay, so that's what's going on. Now, what's happening here is that what Jonathan is saying in the statement is, hey, young man, let's you and me go over and let's go take on at least 20 well-armed, well-fortified, well-trained Philistines who were savage in the way they did battle. So I want you to imagine for a second, Jonathan was probably a lot cooler looking than me, but just give me a minute, all right? I want you to imagine me and like, a junior high kid from like, you know, youth seven, eight, all right? So I bring this kid, he's 14, gangly, elbows, knees, me and him, all right? And then I take 20 of the baddest dudes you can imagine, fortified and weaponized, and I put them right over there. How do you like my chances? Like you don't. This was absurd. And not, not only that, but that 20 is backed up by the rest of a garrison. So what he's saying is crazy, but it's super easy to read this verse and go, yep, that sounds nuts. But I want you to hear this last word. It's a little uncomfortable, but just stick with me, okay? Uncircumcised. Don't panic, I'm not gonna describe it. And I recommend that you don't Google it if you don't know what it is, but just ask a friend who's got some biblical history. It's easy to hear this and just go, oh, Jonathan's kind of just describing, hey, I am physically different than those who I'm about to go fight. That's not what this word means. You see, for Jews, circumcision was referred to as a covenant in the flesh. They were marked by God and for God. This was something God had commanded them going all the way back through their history to say, this is, you will be physically different because you belong to me. So make no mistake about it, church. What is happening in this moment is that Jonathan is sitting there. He's looking at this scared kid and he's saying, let's remember something. We're the people of God. We belong to him. He is with us, okay? Because we're his. And oh, by the way, they aren't. They are uncircumcised. They have not made a covenant with God. He's not on their team. He is with us. This is like that moment in the movie where that guy stands up in the locker room and starts giving that like motivational speech. It's like, listen, we can do this. That one word invoked all of this for Jonathan and this young man who assuredly idolized the guy whose armor he carried. He's sitting back and saying, we are God's people. And we need to know that. From there, Jonathan says something, and we're gonna spend some time on this because it's like my favorite part of this verse. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. That verse doesn't say, God's going to do this. And yet Jonathan and this young man's life is on the line. And still, what Jonathan is saying in this moment is, it may be. This is about as perfect a human position in the midst of faith that I can describe for you. Jonathan is sitting back and what he is recognizing is in the midst of a war, right? They weren't at a picnic. He's not feeling fresh. 
He's sitting there and he's already tired and been on a journey and been battling. And in the midst of this moment, he's looking at this scared young man who's next to him and saying, I think I see an opportunity to participate in a victory of the Lord. But he's not fresh. Things are already hard. They've been at war with the Philistines for quite some time. And now is when he says, even though, right, we're several years into a journey, like Will said, let's go look at an opportunity to participate in a really great victory. Now, one of the things that the the Jewish culture is really good at and was really good at back then and continues to this day is oral tradition. They pass their stories down incredibly well over time. Like it would have been the kind of thing where if you were a little Jewish kid, you had heard the stories over and over and over again. They just ingrained them into their people. Every, I mean, you sit back and it's like, you know, I get my hair cut at a place where it's got a lot of guys who are Jewish and it's like the place is shut down every other week because it's a Jewish holiday, right? They commemorate everything and it's awesome, but that's how they remember because they commemorate things. And so what would happen is in this moment, and again, I didn't get to interview Jonathan. He was unavailable for comment before I did this sermon. So I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but we can kind of imagine some things. Because he was Jewish, his dad Saul was really important, so he knew the stories, which means that in this moment, he's probably remembering Jericho. Wow. Hey, wait a minute. You know, God's overcome odds for our people in the past. I remember when God took down an entire fortified stronghold with noise. Or maybe he's remembering Samson, where one, one Hebrew man stood against Philistines that outnumbered him and with nothing more than the jawbone of a donkey found victory. Or maybe it's Moses. Maybe it's Moses who sat down and led the entire nation through a parted Red Sea across a dry seabed. And when the time came with an entire Egyptian army fortified and a foreign nation in hot pursuit, he simply, one man dropped his arms and wrecked an entire nation's army. Funny little archeological detail I learned in seminary. There is one Egyptian dynasty that used three-prong and four-prong chariots. At the bottom of the Red Sea, they have found coral constructed in both three-prong and four-prong wheel structures. A little archaeological detail for the Bible, for those of you who like those, okay? It's unrelated to this sermon, but you're welcome. (laughs) Jonathan knew the stories of his people. In fact, he might even be looking back to one of the great warriors of all time, Joshua. In Joshua 23, 9 and 10, it says this, For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. Why? Verse 10. Because one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. See, Jonathan's sitting back and he knows, knows who God is. He remembers the stories. And his faith is probably telling him, hey, you can do this. We can do this. But he still does not say, this is what God's going to do. And here's why. Because the future is God's lane. The future things belong to the Lord. So Jonathan words it in a beautiful way. And this is how I encourage you. If you feel like you're on a faith journey with the Lord, you can't sit back and say, God will do this. What you can say is, hey, here's what's on my heart. And I'm giving this to the Lord. So the way Jonathan words that in this moment, with his very life on the line, is he says, it may be, that the Lord will work for us. One of the things that I love about this moment is that he's just sitting back and he's doing a great job and this is a fill in the blank for your notes. I want you to live with forward thinking faith. Live with forward thinking faith because what's happening here is Jonathan's sitting back and he's kind of looking at the future but he's not living in it. He's living in his moment, kind of wrestling with the Lord. This one's free, but I'm gonna bet that there's many people who are sitting at home, online, or in one of our rooms today, and what they're saying is this, I'm stressed. I'm gonna bet that most of you aren't stressed because you're worried about how this sermon's gonna end, okay? If you are, thank you, that's very sympathetic of you, like, I'm gonna be fine, we're gonna get through this. But you're probably worried about your future. You're probably worried about your bank account next week and next month. 
You're probably worried about next year and whether or not your kids will get through this thing. Worried about how you retire. You're worried about a physical ailment. But if what I told you was you were going to pass away at midnight, the only thing that you have is the rest of your day, you would live your life different than you are right now. There's no version of our life, church, where we are not better off if we leave the future in the hands of God. Because all that's stressing out, we love this, right? We sit back and we go, I feel powerless to affect change in the future. Not really anything I can do, so I'm gonna worry. I can do that. I'll do that really well. Stop. Worrying has never affected anything. And for those of you that are believing the lie, worrying prepares me for the future. God already knows what your future looks like. God knows exactly how this battle is going to go. And what Jonathan's doing is he's wrestling in this moment going, it may be that God works, but I can't tell you the future because that belongs to the Lord. So I'm going to sit here in this moment and I'm just going to camp. I had a woman walk up to me after last hour and she just simply said, hey, this was a really helpful example for me. She's wrestling through some stuff that's kind of going on. And, and what she said was, hey, listen, that was a helpful example. I talked about how our faith is something that grows over time. Uh, for many of us who have a saving relationship with Christ, what I'd submit to you is this, okay? The biggest step of faith you ever took was when you sat there with no experience of God as far as you knew, and you said, I'm gonna trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior with my eternity, okay? And then what happens with our faith is we sit there and we go, okay, now I've got this little mustard seed of faith, and I could probably invest it in something, maybe a little more kind of here and now. What about my finances? Like, I'm in a financial mess right now. Anybody come to God and everything was perfect? No, right? The room of your life was an absolute mess. And you kind of start looking around and going, all right, my finances. God, I'm a mess right now in my finances. Is there any way that you could? And you push your faith across the table, this little seed, and it goes over there. And then God starts to work in your finances because it's got your full attention. So God goes, great, I got your full attention with finances. Let's start seeing what happens with finances. You start to follow God's principles. You start to sit back and to read his word. You know his character. And so you go, I've heard that God's good, so I'm gonna keep having faith that God's good. And it may not be that he changes your circumstances. It may be that he goes in a different direction and he accomplishes his plan in another way. But here's what you see. I made it and he brought me through it. And what gets pushed back is more faith than you pushed over. So you keep shoving your faith back and forth and you reinvest your faith in the next adventure with God. And what comes back is more faith for the adventure that's gonna follow. You know, the Bible says that like God's always preparing us for things. The journeys in your life that you're on right now are the things that are preparing you for your future journeys. Don't quit because your faith continues to grow over time. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, you've got more faith and more faith. The things that require faith from me today are a whole lot bigger than the things that used to. I do stuff daily now that used to stress me out before. And we've built the faith where me and the Lord go, yeah, no, you've, you've climbed that hill already. We're gonna be okay. And so one of the things that continues to kind of work with us during times like these is that we have to realize that our faith continues to grow over time and we have to reinvest it to stay on this adventure with God. Now, Jonathan doesn't know the outcome, but in this last section of this verse, he does know something. Because what he says is, it may be that the Lord will work for us. And then comes this statement, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, Jonathan doesn't know the outcome, but he does know the character of God. He knows who God is, even though he doesn't know how this particular situation is gonna work out. So what he's doing in this moment is he's sitting back and he's leaning on who God is, both historically for his people, but also for who he has come to know him to be. I'm gonna bet that this wasn't Jonathan's first faith rodeo, all right? This would be a big one to start off on. Hey, I'm gonna put my whole life on the line here based on a faithful moment. That's not the one you wanna start on, okay? If some of you are wrestling with that, start smaller, okay? Just kind of pick something else. But here's where I wanna tell you, I wanna tell you a story, and I've shared this before, but I wanna share a story about a time in my life where faith was a challenge, okay? The setting was I had been sober for a couple of years or a year or so, 
And at about a year mark, that's right, that's right where it was, uh, I kind of had a nudge from the Lord and it was the nudge. And if any of you have ever done this, it's a terrifying place. I felt God calling me into full-time ministry. Now here's the problem. You gotta kind of let go of a full-time job to jump into full-time ministry, okay? You can, it's really hard to do two full-time things at one time. So I, I prayed about it, I thought about it, and I got to this point where I had submitted an application to the seminary, which was the first step into this internship that would call me into full-time ministry. And so as that uh, was all moving, uh, it was like 2010. So the economy was awesome at that time. And so what happened was the company that I was working for could no longer support me. And so my position was eliminated and it was a wise decision for the company. I mean, things were really hard and I was working for a nonprofit. And so they said, I'm sorry, we just can't support you anymore. So I lost my job that I currently had. The seminary came back and what they said to me was they said, hey, I'd written some really honest entrance uh, essays talking about what Jamie and I had gone through, uh, what I'd put us through in our marriage, as well as some of my background with addiction. And what the seminary came back and said was, hey, listen, uh, we want you to take another year to grow in your sobriety, your relationship with your wife and your relationship with the Lord. So it was like, okay, uh, I don't have a current job. The ministry job that I really wanted isn't available to me right now because I got to wait a year, which is a really long time to me. And, uh, and then at about 10 days later, uh, my wife so lovingly announced that we were pregnant with our first child, okay? Which is scary to start with, but when you don't have a job, it just completely spun me out of whack. And so um, I had a bit of a tantrum, just for those of you who sit back and you think your pastors always act in perfect faith. I got really mad and I looked at the Lord and I said, if you want me to be in this internship program, then SBC is gonna have to come back to me. Okay, that was my tantrum. And then I calmed down and I wrote on that letter that Phoenix Seminary wrote me, uh, God's timing is perfect. I stuffed it in my Bible and I went out and I looked for a job. So what happened was I went off and I trained and I went into the dent business, fixing dents in cars. Okay, some of you've heard this story. So I go into this deal, I get trained, it's summertime, it's about 180 degrees in Phoenix, and I am fixing dents on hot pavement around hot metal objects, okay? And about that time, I'm looking at the Lord going, this is your plan for my life. Great deal, I'm having a ball. <clears throat> and about 30 days later, uh, a hailstorm trenched through the most expensive auto zip code in Arizona history, and it was literally raining money as far as I was concerned. <laughs> um, the insurance companies got killed, but the Rosellos were doing just fine. And so I sat back and I looked at it after the fact. Um, I, I ended up coming through this time and God provided, you heard Will say, God provided just enough. The Rosellos were provided for, uh, the hospital bills were paid for. I, I had this new position that was really hard and it was super difficult, but God worked and I didn't know what God was gonna do, but I knew he'd do something. I knew we would survive, but I had to believe after God getting me sober and restoring my marriage, he didn't bring me this far to hang me out to dry. I knew that he had something. I didn't know what it was. And I can promise you, church, I sure did not plan on being in the dent business. <laughs> but God worked and he moved me through it. Yeah, something incredible happened. And here's what's so fun. I got a chance to write a letter to that woman who sent me that letter saying, hey, we want you to take another year. I needed that year. I graduate from seminary next week and uh, there's an amazing... <clears throat> Thank you. I took eight years to get a three-year degree, but <laughs> God's good. <laughs> God knew exactly what I needed, right? He knew, hey, Rustin's not just gonna need this year to mature, and I did, but I got to send a letter to this woman and say thank you for your discernment and the discernment of the committee that knew I needed that year. Lo and behold, just because God has a sense of humor, Scottsdale Bible called me and said, we'd like you to be a part of this internship program. Just the Lord kind of going, hey, remember that tantrum you threw? I heard you. It's my timing, not yours, but I heard your tantrum. God's good but it was hard. There's a lot of nights that I sat there and I prayed and I went, Lord, I don't know how this gets done. 
But that's kind of that scenario where you sit back. And what I started with at that premise was I knew what God had done. I'd, I'd been a Christian for years. I'd wandered a lot in my time, but I knew God was good. And so what I got to see was I got to see times that were really difficult and really trying were actually leading to something good. And because I believed that God was good and I knew he didn't mean me harm and I trusted in faith that he hadn't brought me this far to abandon me, I could see difficult days building something in me. I could see them yielding fruit. I could see faith that me and God were pushing back and forth. And I kept going, you know what? You overcame this. What if you overcame this? Almost daring God to go, I don't know. Think you can do something with that? Because I sure can't. It's in my helplessness that I say, you're up. And all of a sudden we keep growing and our faith keeps getting bigger. But what about some of you? I want to take just a minute and talk to a group today. What about those of you who are sitting at home in your living room watching this, or you're with a friend here and I am what stood between you and a free lunch, okay? What about those of you who are sitting here saying, I don't have any faith, right? I, I don't understand this mustard seed thing you're talking about where you start and you trust. I don't understand any of that. What if that's you today? Then I would encourage you to look at something really powerful. It's God's love. You know, yeah, I've heard about that. It's never really been clear to me. Well, the clearest picture of God's love is seen at what we just celebrated. It's seen at the cross. We celebrate the cross, or more, we commemorate the cross on Good Friday, but we celebrate its overcoming power on Easter. You see, it was at the cross that Christ took on sin and death. It's at Easter where he overcame them. He rose from the grave and said, sin and death cannot hold me down. But God's love is tricky because love in the Bible shows up in really, really like odd places. What does the Bible, what does this book have to say about God's love? It's 1 John 4.10. And it says this. It says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And did what? Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a $5 word for substitute. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And what happened at the cross, whether you know this or not, if you're sitting here wrestling with faith today, what I would tell you is what happened at the cross is that instead of you having to die for your sin, God says, I'm going to open up a way for me and you to be in relationship. I'm going to send my son to die in your place. And you now get to decide whether or not me and you be in relationship. But that way has been provided. So that's a tricky thing because people go, well, why didn't God just change and say sin wasn't a big deal? Because that's actually not best for you. Let's set aside for a second the fact that the God of the universe, creator of all things made, didn't do anything wrong, so he shouldn't have to change. Let's set that aside for a minute and let's just talk about you. God created a place for himself in you. And if he changes, he will not fit that place. So for you to feel fully loved in God's love, God has to be who he is, who he's always been, and his character has never changed. We'll talk about that in just a second. But his character has never changed. And here's the lie that the world wants you to believe about Jesus. That is too narrow. That is silly. Believing in Jesus. I have people say in my office all the time, why do you have to keep talking about Jesus? Why is it that he's so important? Because the Bible says, nobody comes to the Father except through him. So the reality is, the invitation is there. The sacrifice has been made. The substitute for your sins, of which we are all guilty of, okay? There's no fighting that. We've all done things wrong. God has not. That separates us from him. But the invitation is there. It just comes through this Jesus who loves you so much that he chose to give his life for yours. But here's how invitations work. The person who sends the invitation gets to decide how you get to the party. If you received an invitation one day and you were sitting there and the party had been kind of planned and the invitation comes to you and you go, okay, great, I got this invitation. And the party started and you called the person and you go, hey, I can't find the party. And they said, well, the invitation has the directions on it. They're right there. And you go, yeah, I thought your directions were stupid. I thought they were narrow-minded. I thought they were offensive to me and the way I like to get to the party. So I'm super upset. 
and I'm really mad that I'm not at the party. That host would look at you and go, what are you talking about? I gave you instructions to the party. There is a loving relationship designed for you. It is beautiful. The invitation has been extended. The propitiation for your sins that separate all of us from God is there. His name is Jesus, and he loves and adores and created you. There is a void in you that he was designed to fill and it is best that he not waffle on sin because it's best for you that he not waffle on sin. If you are sitting back today and you are saying, I do not understand faith, I do not have a mustard seed, what I want you to hear is the good news about how deeply you are loved. The church has been thriving for thousands of years. It's not thriving on a lie. Something miraculous happened on that first Easter and you need to know that that miraculous thing is for you. That's what I leave you with if you wrestle with faith. But what about those who are sitting back and are kind of saying, I just don't know uh, about how I get through tough times with my faith. Well, if you believe this book and you believe God is good, then you can walk into situations and open yourself up to a whole bunch of truth. You can approach situations knowing God is faithful and you can do something powerful. This is a slide that I want you to see real quick. I want you to say this, are you looking for victory opportunities? You see, the reality is we know when we stand on who God is. That's what Jonathan did, right? He stood back and he said, I know who God is, right? Nothing can hinder him. I remember my past and I have faith for the future that God will do something. But church, here's what we do so many times. We walk through our life and we go, things are already hard. Ooh, there's a garrison over there. Oh, I don't wanna go over there. That's gonna be uncomfortable. And we start walking a little further and we avoided that. When we come over here and we go, oh, there's a garrison over there. That's gonna be really uncomfortable. You see, that's not how we're designed to live. We're not designed to avoid things. God has designed us to fight for the great things in our lives. God wants great things for us, but great things are hard. You want a baby, you gotta have a labor. I've never experienced that personally, but I've heard it's hard. <laughs> you want something great, it's gonna be really hard because great things always come at a cost. I was reminded of a story this week. It's about a guy who gets to heaven, he shows up, he's there with God, and as he's standing there, he sees this giant building off in the distance. He looks at God and he says, what, what's that over there? God just says, you don't want to go over there. Don't worry about that. Let's just me and you spend time together. It's still, it's just attracting this guy's attention. He no, 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 that, that over there, it looks really cool. It's giant. Can we go over and see it? And he goes, well, we can. I'm just telling you, I don't think you want to go there. He says, no, no, I, I really, my curiosity's killing me. I want to see it. They get there. They walk up to this giant building. The man opens the door. He looks in and it's unbelievable. He goes, oh my gosh, that, that thing over there, that's an experience that I'd always wanted to have. Oh, oh my gosh, that right there, that's a character trait or an attribute that I had longed for all my life. What is this place? And God looks at him and he says, these are all the things that I had planned for your life. You were too afraid to pursue them. It's chilling, it's haunting, isn't it, church? You see, Jonathan and this kid could have turned around and gone home. They could have left. They could have just said, ugh. But they would have missed out on a victory that God had planned for them. Do you hear that? The plan was already, God said, hey, it's done. The victory is yours. He knew that. Do you have the faith to pursue it? Church, do you go through your life looking to avoid pain? Jamie talked about this last week in his sermon. Are you so longing to be comfortable that you're afraid to do hard things? I say this a lot because this has been my current road, but are you wanting everything from your marriage that God has for you or your current relationships or your finances or your relationship with God? Or are you sitting back right now and we'll use this as an example in your marriage going, yeah, we could go back to counseling, but oh, we'd stir up a bunch of stuff and that'd be uncomfortable. Or are you saying, you know what? God can't be hindered when it comes to restoring his people. So I'm gonna show up and we're gonna stir some stuff up, not because I love to be in pain, but because I love God's work. 
And I, in the midst of difficult times, am looking for victories in my life, not to just be comfortable. Do you want relief from your circumstances or do you want to be restored? Because relief says go home. It kind of maybe stops today. Restoration says, Lord, I'm all yours. Let's dive in. I want everything that you have for me. You know, the reality is we can never be afraid of God-sized challenges. Part of overcoming our fears is having someone alongside us to fight, never go it alone. Never forget how God has been faithful in the past. And one of the things, for those of you who are filling out your notes, I think I may have missed this, we gotta know and stand on the truth of who God is. I got so fired up about the gospel, I forgot to put that point up there. There it is, right there. Boom, God will forgive me. All right, here's the deal. This is hard. I know it's hard. I've been wrestling with this all week. I love each and every one of you, and this is the message that's on my heart, but I wanna tell you, this week is hard. We're talking about faith. We're talking about how to fight, okay? I didn't ask to preach on Mother's Day. We're gonna preach on Mother's Day, but next week, okay, we're talking about idols out of Ezekiel. We're gonna talk about what to fight. This is how to fight. Next week is what to fight. If you don't like being challenged, next week may be a tough week to come to church, okay? But bring your mom. Like I said, I, I love you guys. My, my point is not to get up here and to ever burden anybody unnecessarily. My point is that God has put a cry in my heart for my own life. And I'm telling you, my wife would tell you, Rustin struggles with this too. I cry at times because I wanna look at God and go, how hard does it have to be? I said that this week. I looked at my wife and just said, why does it always have to be so hard? Like when you're the guy who gets up and preach these messages, the enemy starts on you on like Monday. So just know that we're in this together. We are a body. You're not alone. But we gotta go after everything that God has because we're his people and he promised great things to us. But we gotta go fight them out in battles and victories. Does that sound okay? Okay, let me pray for us as we go to the communion table. God, I thank you so much for all of the things that I see you doing in our church, for all the things that I see you doing in your people. Lord, we're surrounded every day by stories like Will's, by stories that have great overcoming, that have had difficult times and tears. Literally, Lord, the weeping and the grinding of our teeth saying, I don't know if I can make it through this. And at times you relieve our circumstances, but at other times you come alongside us and you journey us through. Sometimes you carry us. Sometimes you just walk with us. It's just, we need you and we know that. So as we've stirred today, these places in our lives, don't mind, just prayer for all of us is Lord, you would continue to walk with us as we work this out. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.